You are listening to Radio Ramadan 365 Podcasts. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Welcome to today's Ask the Sheikh program. Uh, this is Zubair on Radio Ramadan 365 and our program runs between Mondays to Thursdays, 6 to 7 p.m. It goes out on 87.7 FM and 1530 medium wave and also on digital radio. We've been covering a number of topics over the last few shows and uh, today we'll be talking more about the Quran and just uh, any kind of questions that you've had in the past about the Quran. We'll be posing them to our special guest, who is Sheikh Idris Waz. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Assalamu alaikum How are you doing? Um, just before we start, alhamdulillah, just before we start, I'll just give you a quick uh, introduction to Sheikh Idris. Sheikh Idris has been involved in Islamic education uh, since he accepted Islam in 1998. He studied Arabic at the University of Leeds. He then moved to Morocco and he studied there for the next seven years. On his return to the UK, he taught in the Yorkshire and Lancashire community, setting up classes uh, and gatherings within Bradford and the nearby cities, working with mosques and institutes, delivering speeches, workshops, and uh, working in uh, institutes and within universities as well. So he's been teaching Arabic and Islamic studies for the last 12 years. And he also has set up um, the Quranic Circle, which is... Uh, a course into Quranic Arabic. And I'd like to start with that, Sheikh Len. Can you tell us a little bit more about the importance of uh, learning the Quran uh, in Islam? And what is it that makes your uh, course into Quranic Arabic uh, maybe different to the rest? <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Uh, the, well, the importance of the Quran, obviously, we know. I mean, this whole month of Ramadan is about the the revelation of the Quran. Um, and so we know that the Quran is central to our faith and the rest of our faith is fundamentally just a, an extra, it's an explanation of what the Quran is. Um, and so it's the very spirit and the crux upon which our whole faith um, lies on. And so it's really fundamental. We have a relationship with the Quran to understand um, what our faith is about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, pe- but the obviously the dilemma, and I think you know, sometimes for people is that obviously the Quran is revealed in Arabic, and people feel that as a bit of a barrier to engaging with the Quran. Mm-hmm. And I think the first thing people have to understand is the fact that the Quran is in Arabic doesn't mean that you can't access the Quran through a translation. It's really important. I think we as Muslims, we often put barriers up to connect to our faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and we make excuses in order to say, I'm not qualified to read the Quran. I always say, I don't, I can't pronounce the Quran properly. So I might as well not do it at all. Mm-hmm. And you could, this is very common for you to hear this from people. And fundamentally, Allah, you know, he, he asks you to come to him as you are. But obviously, in a sense, then it's a journey and we're constantly trying to grow in our faith, in our understanding, in us, in the way, in, in the way that we connect to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We've got, it is a, it's a, it's a journey mm-hmm. uh, towards growth and connecting to him, but we have to meet him where we're at first and foremost. And, and then, so people shouldn't really put that, 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 you know, use that as a barrier to connect to the Quran, I don't think. And it's right. important that we connect through translation. Um, 
but also what I think is important, even if we don't have Arabic, is for us to, and we're, we're just sport for choice, really. If, if you look back to the 90s, we didn't have these sorts of things. Now you can just go online, find your favorite scholar that you really connect with, and you can uh, get all these lectures on the Quran. So we've got scholars now accessible at the click of a finger in order mm -hmm. to understand if we don't have the Arabic in or we don't have the deeper understanding to connect with them and for them to explain what the Quran is for us and what's lost in the translation, because there's no doubt things are lost in the translation. Um, I was speaking with someone uh, this week and I thought it was really interesting. They were saying they were going through a lot of struggles and they were saying to me, um, doesn't Allah say in the Quran that after hardship comes ease? And I and they said, I've been struggling for years and I don't feel any relief. <laughs> right, okay. So, you know, is this promise true? And I said, where does Allah say in the Quran that after hardship comes ease? Mm -hmm. um, I don't think that's in the Quran. And she went, what are you talking about? It's not in the Quran. Doesn't it say in Surah, uh, uh, in Shirah, in the Ma'al Usri Yusra? Mm -hmm. I said, okay, what does, how do you translate in the Ma'al Usri Yusra? She said, well, with difficulty, after difficulty comes ease. I said, that's not what it says in Arabic. It says, verily, with hardship comes ease. Right. And then I said, and I said, what does that mean then when we say with? It's not after, it's with. And I say sometimes. I said, obviously, we do have hardship. Like, for example, um, if I'm studying Arabic and I'm struggling, but I'm asserting myself and trying to find out the best way to learn and, you know, the best approach for me, eventually, after some initial struggle, it will slowly, slowly get easier, mm -hmm. you know. And because uh, I remember crying one, I remember walking back from Leeds University on <laughs> in the degree and crying one day, when is the day going to be when I don't have to look at a dictionary for like every other sentence? And I was like, <laughs> yeah. so I, yeah, ease has come for me after many years of striving there. But I think this is the mistake we make as Muslims sometimes is, is that we think we just got to keep pushing and pushing and pushing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and we, but we keep hitting our head against the wall time after time after time and thinking no i've got to be keep pushing because there's baraka in it but what allah says here and it's very subtle i think he says with hardship there is ease M meaning and this is what i try to highlight to them because I i'm thinking sometimes you think you thought that was the way to go in your life with allah but he might have been giving you feedback that that's not what he wanted from you and so one of the signs is that is that you you keep hitting a brick wall mm -hmm. and i say three to basically i have this principle three times you're out I, I, if it keeps happening that you, you are hitting your head and just feeling like you're not getting anywhere after three times and you start to get resentful and a bit bitter and frustrated towards Allah. Um, what is this? This is a sign that, you know, or you just get broken and dismayed and hopeless. This is a sign that maybe you're not seeing things from a broader perspective <laughs> and in the hardship, there is ease. What I understand in this context is, if you're in pain and struggling, then you know what the opposite of that is because you don't like it, what you're in. Right. So with the hardship, you actually get clarity about what ease is because it's the opposite of what you're experiencing. Mm -hmm. So then you ask yourself, well, what is goodness then? What is the other side of what I'm experiencing? And then you have this exploration of 
how can I move in that direction? And you explore, and rather than trying to be desperate to find answers, you explore the question. Right. And, um, and that, I, you know, that the Arabic is really subtle there about that, I think, is that it's not always about, you know, I'm, I'm just keeping pursuing and exerting myself, and when's the ease going to come? No, Allah sometimes wants us to slow down and saying, is this, you know, in this hardship, what is it you're experiencing? And then what's the other side of it? Because if we're experiencing one side of something, there's always another side to it. And that's what, what Allah wants us to explore and, and find out for ourselves so that we actually gain some agency in our life rather than, because I think as Muslims, what we do a lot of the time is we just wait for the circumstances to change, don't we? Or people mm. to change. And we, but, we, but we don't really want to take agency because it's scary and it is scary. I admit it sometimes. But, we, but Allah is not asking you suddenly to make massive changes. He's asking mm. you to explore about what it is you really need in your life and what you're seeking and to really just explore and have a relationship with Allah around that. And I think that's what sometimes is lost in, these, in the translations. We don't really understand. And it's when you get access to the Arabic, you really get to taste these, the, the, the real guidance in that. And so that think, requires uh, teachers. Yeah. Sorry, Sheikh. Do you think that uh, people become overwhelmed with the idea of learning? Uh, yeah, Arabic, oh, no, like, yeah. Yeah, 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 and yeah. and you said that you know people struggle, and it is uh, about striving and about um, putting putting in the commitment. I mean, for someone who has um, who may be listening out there, who has tried over the years to try and access the Quran uh, through yeah. the Arabic, uh, and then maybe has felt that they're not progressing. I mean, what kind of advice would you give to them to yeah. just keep going? Yeah, no. Well, this is an important question. Is that <laughs> in my years of teaching? What I've, what, what, I've just, what I've sort of come to a realization about is, number one, is that most of the courses on Arabic are designed really in spirit. They're designed for full-time students. Right. And, but the problem is that the most people in the West who are trying to learn Arabic are not full-time students. Yeah, they can't so commit that, to that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so they can't, and so we as teachers sometimes, and this is a criticism I have of myself and teachers is, and I did this for years is, we expect people to study how we studied, but we were full-time students yeah. and our students are not. And so what I feel is really important is if you have been, if you had, I call it a broken heart syndrome with, with, the, with, the, with Arabic, it's like time and time again, you just fail, you feel like you failed and you're not getting anywhere. Right. And it's not that you can't learn Arabic, mm -hmm. but it's that the approach you're uh, the approach you're having, like you know, after six months, you should feel like, wow, things are coming together. To you know, in a, on a broader sense, you should yeah. feel like things are coming together. If that's not the case, you're just thinking, where on earth am I going with this? This is really hard, and I don't see where this is going. You need to ask. Maybe the methodology is not right for you. Right. And so that's where I like after years of teaching Arabic, I realized I had to change my whole methodology. And yeah. for part time students, they have to prioritize what they want to learn. When we learn Arabic, we focus on all four skills, speaking, listening, reading and writing. Right. Um, but for a part time student, that's impossible. You cannot learn the Arabic mm -hmm. like that. I see people on courses focusing on spoken Arabic and I'm thinking, you know, Arabic is a means to an end. It's right. not a goal in itself. Mm -hmm. So, you know, why are you wanting to learn Arabic? Is it to go to Jordan and ask for an ice cream in Arabic? 
or right. is it for you to you know rub shoulders with the the teachers and mm-hmm. converse with them or is it you know if you were to have anything that you could get from arabic what would it be and most people i think if they're realistic with themselves say i just want to understand the quran yeah and so if you want to understand the quran you don't need to learn how to read or speak arabic you don't need to necessarily you don't need to know how to write arabic you don't necessarily need to even understand, uh, hear Arabic, understand it. That would be nice, obviously, because you want to listen to the Quran. But mm-hmm. fundamentally, you want to be able to translate and understand what's being said when you read it. Yeah. And so I sort of, my, my focus was purely on accessing the Quran and how mm-hmm. can we do this in the quickest way possible? And how can I support students with as many resources available? So I basically devised a whole portal so people could do it online they get lifetime access. They mm-hmm. get they get they get access to me via WhatsApp and email. We have um, vocabulary apps. Like I basically laid out as many resources. We have we have the the videos online. Then we have the meet. We have two meetups a week where they can ask their questions and, and we revise the material t- together. Okay. And so and 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 they every year they can re re connect so what my goal was was they don't have an excuse there's no way no one can say like i can't do this because you can go at the pace you want to go at um and and that's what's missing i think in a lot of arabic courses is it's not facilitating for it's not they're not facilitating the process for the student they're just basically laying out and say get on with it absolutely um, so this uh, so this connecting uh, to the quran course then it runs i'm assuming that it runs um live but in current climate obviously it's uh, it's moved online but you are you are running the course online as well for students yeah it's always been be... online i mean i run okay. it in manchester i run it in two locations in lancashire mm-hmm. and two locations in yorkshire so manchester uh, manchester and blackburn and then okay. bradford and leeds um, and that was like to run it on weekdays and weekends. And if people couldn't attend one, they can come to the other. So I was trying to basically make it as facilitate things for people. They could, they could theoretically attend every class in the week if they wanted to. Um, but then there was online learning as well. I, what do the onlineers do? They, they, they go on to, and access the videos of the classes. And then we all meet up for an online revision class on a Friday. And then... I added after that, then we have another meetup where they can actually just, just get their questions out in a very free, uh, fluid format where mm-hmm. we just sort of, you know, check in who wants to check in and just see where you're at and do you need any guidance? Excellent, so excellent. that was the way I got around all these problems. And uh, mm-hmm. I honestly, I don't see any other course out there that does that, to be honest. Okay, very good. So that's the uh, connecting to the Quran uh, Arabic course that Sheikh Adris Watts is our guest today. Uh, runs through his Quranic circle. Um, okay, Sheikh, just to uh, focus again, just to bring it back to the actual Quran itself. Now, yeah. one of the things that you read a lot about the Quran is that it is a healing. It's a, it's yeah. a shifa. It's a, a way to heal people, um, both spiritually um, and in other ways. Now, can you expand on that a little bit? How can how can a person who's listening to this uh, access the Quran? Uh, and should their goal be to um, look at towards the Quran as a healing? Of sorts. Well, yeah. And what do we understand from Shifa? Again, it's really important that we understand what Allah's saying here. Mm-hmm. Um, fundamentally, the scholars mention what it means by Shifa. Fundamentally, is it's a means to purify one's cognitive misunderstandings about life. Mm-hmm. 
and what I mean by that is that it's come to clear, like in the context of the, the time when the Quran was revealed, it's come to clear up people's misconceptions about God and mm-hmm. what they and their lives and who they should be, you know, where they should be going in life. That's what it fundamentally means by a shifa. So it's laying things out. And that's where in the Quran, Allah says it um, in terms of the verses related to fasting and Ramadan. He says, Shahru Ramadan. So, the month of Ramadan, what is it? It's the month in which the Qur'an was revealed as a guide or as guidance for mankind. This is the first thing. Is Basically, when we pick up the Qur'an, you say, there is something to this. This is not a normal book, and this is speaking to things that are very profound. So, in your heart, you say, there's something here. Mm. and uh, it's something of great importance and i know that it relates to me and my life and what i need to be going that's that's fundamentally what the first word means so the quran is that and it's come to purify and give clarity to what we who what we need who we need to be connecting to in life and what we need to be doing Mm -hmm. and then what he says and then clarifiers literally elucidation of the that guidance so it's not just broad guidance in terms of wow, this is you know this is this is this is definitely got, there's something to this. It's also going to it's also going to elucidate for you the details of how to how to gain that guidance and what to do with that guidance. Okay. And then he says, and then he says, finally, he says, well, Furqan Furqan. And if we do that, once we embody the Quran, mm-hmm. it's going to give you a Furqan. And what's a Furqan? It gives you that that inner ability to to see truth from falsehood you like have an inner compass that just says that's Mm -hmm. truth that's not and you know where you're going in life you have this internal navigation system that's now been refined that's now been um developed whereby you see the wood you can see the wood through the trees and you can see what's falsehood and what's not and that's the shifa of the quran is that my god i can see where i need to go in life and how to do it Okay, so when it comes to um, accessing the Qur'an for a person who's maybe going through difficulty, maybe they have uh, times of stress, um, maybe they have financial difficulty. I mean, the people are going through so many changes at the moment, especially with the, uh, with the current lockdown and so forth. So how do you uh, use the Qur'an as a, as a means of access to kind of almost bringing answers to these kind of questions that you have, especially in yeah. times of stress? How would a person yeah. go about doing that? Well, it, it, first of all, I mean, if we look at it, the Fatiha, it's, it, it, the Fatiha is a chapter that brings us into a state of openness towards needing guidance. What we're doing in like the, the beginning of the book is just show me the, you know, guide me to the straight path. Mm-hmm. Then and then it says the path of those who you have favored and blessed your, bestowed your blessings upon to the end and then it's uh, that 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 surah is asking you to open your heart now to being mindful of where that guidance is in the rest of the book and that's the attitude we should have to the quran is that i'm coming with an open heart of i don't know what to do i'm coming to you allah seeking answers and clarity and those those that answers and clarity is not necessarily going to be some specific details because you know, if I give you specific details, I don't really help you. You know, we learn about this in counseling is that we're not supposed to 
give you like tell you what to do because right. that that's like giving you the fish but not teaching you how to fish mm-hmm. you know you're going to go in your life and you're going to end up becoming dependent upon me every time yeah. you come into difficulty um what do we do we try to develop in the client this ability to you know to to, to have the skills innate within him to mm-hmm. refine those and enable them to grow so that person can actually see things for themselves. And that's what Allah does in the Quran. He brings mm-hmm. general principles, you know, like for example, we were just talking about that verse in the Ma'al Usri Yusra. Mm-hmm. Like, what does it, what, you know, what does that mean? So, you know, is someone when they read that say, okay, there'd be some ease come after it then. I'll just wait and I'll be patient. No, it's asking you to go with open eyes. Where's flow in your life? Because in Arabic, Yusr, it means something that flows with ease through a narrow channel. Right. So it's like as if I've got a focus and when I have that focus on where I want to go in life, do I after some time feel like I'm moving in the right direction? This will flow uh, in line with my principles and my values that I have of my life and my relationship with Allah. Is that happening? If it's not happening, then maybe this is not what Allah wants from me. So Allah wants to give us those principles by which we can, you know, we can work things out for ourselves. And that's, you know, a lot of the time, that's what the Quran is. Open up and ask, how is Allah addressing me here? Is he just lambasting Bani Israel and Fir'aun and who, you know, who to them? And no, he's saying, where are these qualities in you? And where may you be the tyrant? Where may mm-hmm. be you be the one that's, um, you know, that's turned away from guidance and is, and, and is demanding things from Allah rather than demanding things from yourself? And it's that expert. The, the Quran is a, is, a, is a means for us to really engage with and God. You're listening to the on. Ask the Sheikh program with our guest today, Sheikh Idris Watts, who is running the Connecting to the Quran uh, course online. You can uh, search online for this. And it's through QuranicCircle.com. And it's a course which the Sheikh has mentioned just earlier in the program that really tries to give you an access to the Quran with a number of resources. And it makes you kind of get onto that um, journey of, of learning the, and understanding what uh, the Arabic might mean. Because for a lot of us, I mean, we grow up, we uh, learn to read the Arabic, but certainly not understand it as much. Um, Sheikh, you said uh, also, uh, sorry, for the listeners out there, any questions that you have on any of the topics that we'll be covering on the Ask the Sheikh program, you can just Facebook us or you can tweet us or you can email us and we'll collate all your points and questions together and then uh, ask them to any of our guests that come on. So we've been talking about the Quran, we've been talking about the importance of the Quran in Islam, of course, especially during the month of Ramadan. Uh, and we've also talked about how the Quran can be a healing and a shifa for people as well. Uh, Sheikh, when it comes to actual recitation, a lot of people struggle with uh, pronouncing the Quran. And sometimes mm. a lot of people can be put off by the fact that they, um, that they feel that they're not able to pronounce uh, the letters correctly and so forth and maybe they're too old now or they feel that they're too old to go back and sit with the teacher to try and improve their mm. uh, so what is the, what's the importance of the way that it's recited yeah the, this is one of the beautiful things about the Quran is that we can approach the Quran in many different ways um, and we can have many, it's a very versatile and, and uh, uh, relationship that we have with the Quran and so we can go with wanting to understand and that's already what we've been focusing on here and that is the fundamental relationship mm-hmm. with the quran so if people can't read the arabic then read the english not in your prayer obviously you know learn a few small sorters that you can mm-hmm. recite um in arabic 
But outside of that, it's about like connecting to the Quran in the way that you are able. And so for some people, it may be just reading the translation and people shouldn't feel shame in that mm-hmm. because in the end, they're still accessing the Quran. Um, right. But then one should like, I'm going to, I'm going to have, you know, I'm going to exert myself and see where I get with this. And, um, and so I'm going to try to learn the Arabic. And if I fail or if I don't get much, I don't get very far, then Allah rewards me with the intention that I was trying to connect to his book. And there's great reward in that. And so you make it just a long-term life goal is that I'm going to draw, I'm going to slowly draw nearer to the Quran. So you, you don't, maybe, you know, I'm just thinking out loud is that someone say five minutes of the day, I'm going to dedicate purely to just working on my pronunciation of the Arabic. Um, and, you know, and you just keep going and you see over the years, where that where you go with that um but someone shouldn't stress them i mean i feel sometimes we as muslims we use our religion just to give ourselves an anxiety attack and make ourselves (laughs) feel miserable i mean you 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 see this you know when we go on a hajj every year is that people just like start their hajj with anxiety attacks and like have (laughs) i done it right am i doing it wrong what do i need to do and we're like, we have to just yeah. calm them down, don't we, for the first few days of like, just take it easy. If you've made a mistake, we can sort that out later. And, yeah. you know, there's, there's many ways we can, you know, we can deal with that situation. Allah's not trying to make you have an anxiety attack here. You're supposed, to in, you're supposed to enjoy it. You know that? Worship enjoying? You know? <laughs> People can't make sense of usually. No, Sheikh, when it, when it, comes, to, when it comes to the Quran especially, I mean, a lot of people have... Um, Sadly, I mean, a lot of a lot of people have, uh, mashallah, amazing memories of learning Quran and growing up and so forth. But sadly, there are a lot of people that have a very negative or have had very negative experiences of oh, yeah. taught the Quran. Now, that, this is throughout the UK and you know uh, throughout the world as well. Sadly, I mean, in your opinion, then, when it, how do you instill uh, that love for the Quran in your yeah. children? Well, I think first of all, the people that have been scarred, they all need therapy. (laughs) We need to, we need to set up Quranic therapy for people that have been scarred. (laughs) And it's true. I mean, I know many people that literally, you know, they Mm. can't even approach the, they want to approach the Quran and they want to approach prayer, but because of such negative experiences in their childhood, because it's been coupled with abuse Mm. that they, you know, not on a cognitive um, level they you know they want to but they literally get anxiety or feel you know mm. negative feelings because of that and we really and in light of what your question was about children we really need to understand the damage we can do with with our, our, our to our next generation you know right. one of the one of the ultimate goals we should have i feel as mm. muslims on this earth is that we pass this baton onto the next generation where mm. they can go further than you know, they, they feel the religion enriches their life yep. and they feel that they, you know, they will be a sadaqah jariah for us. Even after we pass away, they are taking on the baton and they, they feel that their religion enriches their life, but they're also bringing, bringing profound differences in the life of others and society and becoming benefit, you know, benefiting society with mm-hmm. the religion, because that's fundamentally what it should do. And most, I think a lot of us, we, 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 we perpetuate, well, I wouldn't say perpetuating, but we're creating this cycle. What I call it is one generation, super religious, next generation, near enough atheist, or just, 
you know then yeah. their next generation becomes super religious because they didn't get any religion so they go searching for it and then yeah. they become super hardcore and then the next <laughs> generation and it's like how do you build on any foundation if that's that's, right. if that's the and so we've really got to think about how can i instill love in the of the religion in my children and i think first mm -hmm. and foremost it's, it's very simple is that your children from a very young age see you pick up the Quran and have a relationship with it. You know, right. I remember many of my many people and friends and family saying that I remember seeing my father or mother just sitting with the Quran and really engaged with it. And I was like a bit awestruck by that. Um, I remember my grandma weeping when she read the Quran um, and kissing it. And like they, so they, they, they feel like this is, you know, children naturally think, wow, mum and dad do this or grandma and granddad do this what is this fantastic book yeah and and something just as simple as that you know to start off with is really important um mm. then obviously we need to move to the next level with our children is that we start ex when they're at an age they can understand mm -hmm. is explaining them little bits of the quran in you know a, a verse and what this means for them in their life so they think wow that's amazing that's that really touches me and that i can relate to that and um, that helps mm -hmm. me in my life uh, because this is one of the one of the struggles, isn't it? The tra you know, for young children, how do they really access the Quran? Because it's, it's, it's very it can be very deep and yeah. it can be difficult. So it's, a, it's an onus upon the parents or the teachers, you know, and this is and the importance of mentors in our in our community, which is so lacking. We focus on academic Islam and I say <laughs> academic Islam will not save your children's faith. It will, might actually turn them away from the faith because of the pressure oh. applied on them. No, no, absolutely. Now, there are so many resources for children out there uh, in terms of accessing the Qur'an, from stories of the Qur'an to uh, little, you know, kind of um, workbooks and so, and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, do you suggest for parents, uh, do you suggest pushing their Arabic reading? Because uh, you hear a lot from parents saying that, oh, my children, I'm hoping that my children will finish the Qur'an as soon as possible. And so it's mm. a case of just reading right through it uh, with mm. the Arabic. So do you, do you suggest that they push on with that or do you suggest that they maybe take a little step back and try and introduce a bit more understanding for the kids? I mean, I think at a very early age, I mean, the classical way of looking at studies was at a very early age, children's minds are like sponges. So we need to take advantage of that. So mm -hmm. uh, rote memorization was very much a focus in the early years. And then cognitive understanding comes afterwards. And so mm -hmm. maximize, on, um, the, maximize on that capacity children have to absorb. However, and that's a broad general guideline. In the end, you have to look at the strengths and weaknesses of the child like what where do they flourish and where do they struggle and if we push some, if we get if we find that our children are really struggling and really really resisting or reacting to the pressure this is feedback from Allah that we need a different approach for that child um, and not just keep this this theme I think this is a theme of this this you know our interview today is you know Muslims often think keep pushing keep pushing keep pushing there'll be barakah in it no if you're getting feedback that mm -hmm. someone is like saying, get off me. I don't enjoy this. Um, I'm really not enjoying go, going to the madrasa, for example. Then mm -hmm. maybe, it's, maybe it might be better for him to have a tutor one-on-one. -on -one. Maybe it might be better for him to be in smaller classes. It's not you just keep pushing something regardless. And right. so it's, with each child, it's asking, 
how can they connect and for some of them it will be more about understanding other people other children will really enjoy just the memorization and being with other kids in the madrasa so mm -hmm. you, we have to assess where the child's at and what its needs are and how we can make that you know how we can steer them in a direction that that's going to give them a connection to the quran in a way that they can relate to it Okay, you're listening to Sheikh Adris Watts, we're talking about access, accessing the Qur'an, we're talking about uh, teaching children, we've also talked about the way that the Qur'an can be a healing, and especially for people who have difficulties in their lives. Um, and uh, we're on uh, Ask the Sheikh program, Monday to Thursdays, 6 to 7 p.m., and then from Fridays to Sundays is the Urdu version of the program. If you have any questions, queries, anything that you'd like to ask any of our guests uh, on the forthcoming programs, then do get in touch with us uh, at Radio Ramadan 365 and we will then pose your questions uh, to our guests. Um, Sheikh, when it comes to memorization of Quran, now as, as children, a lot of us were, um, were taught the small surahs that you mentioned at the back mm. of the Quran. Um, and a lot of us want to continue that uh, memorization. And as you said, it's not as easy when you're a bit older. Um, mm. When you're younger, then, you know, as you said, the children are more like sponges and they can... Uh, maybe wrote, learn a lot easier. When it comes to uh, people who are older and they want to try and go back to memorizing Quran, uh, what, what would you suggest the best way to go about it? Yeah, this is a, for people who are older, mm -hmm. um, I think you have to ask yourself and be honest about do you have the aptitude and the ability to memorize? Mm -hmm. um, I... Uh, and if you do, then, you know, pursue it and see where you get with it. But again, reading the feedback from Allah, is this something that you really, is Allah's asking of you? Mm -hmm. um, and it can, again, this theme about you're exerting yourself, are you getting anywhere? And uh, some people, we, you know, we, we, we feel, sometimes we feel um, yeah. this is what is good for me and I need to do this. Um, and and it's not, oh, you know, and, and you think this must be obvious. Memorizing the Quran must be the way to connect to Allah. But Allah wants different things from different people. And even mm -hmm. Khalid ibn Walid, he hardly had memorized any surahs of the Quran. Mm -hmm. um, and why? Because his role was not to memorize Quran. His role was to be a fighter for the sake of the religion and defend the faith. Mm -hmm. and, and so everyone has different roles. So I say, mm -hmm. yeah, go memorize, but just see where you get with it. Right. Now, on a practical level, we have to be very conscious that we live in, in a, uh, an age where stress is very high and, mm -hmm. and stre stress is a killer of, of, of the, the ability to memorize. Right. Um, this is a big problem I have on my Arabic courses. People just say, I have a bad memory. Now, what I say to people is you don't have a bad memory. Mm -hmm. What you have is an untrained memory. Right. And the, we, now, how do we develop this ability to memorize and learn then? First and foremost is what stresses do you have in your life? Because you have to eliminate the stresses. Um, yeah. and, I, and, and I can tell sometimes I'm in a class of students and I can tell their minds are elsewhere, they're drifting. And it's mm -hmm. because there's things in their life they need to really face and deal with. And mm -hmm. if you have stresses in your life, there's no way you're going to memorize. I mean, as a general rule, you know, yeah. there are exceptions, but the general rule is if you're in a sympathetic state and a sympathetic state means an activated state mm -hmm. or you're in a shutdown state, i.e. you feel quite down and you feel a bit hopeless about life, your memory is not online. Your cognitive capacities are not online. Mm -hmm. In order for you to be, um, be able to... Um, take on information 
you have to be in a, what we call a parasympathetic state, which means it's a, rel a relaxed, open state. I feel available. I feel present. Mm -hmm. If you're not able to do that, it's very unlikely you're going to be able to memorize. That's number one. Mm -hmm. um, so you, you, need to, you need to eliminate the stresses. Then we also need to understand how the brain memorizes. And the brain memorizes new information by linking it to something familiar Mm -hmm. And it has an emotional charge. And what right. I mean by that, I meet Zubair for the first time. I've mm -hmm. never met Zubair before. But mm -hmm. I have an old friend from school that was name was Zubair. And so mm -hmm. I see Zubair. And what I'm doing is I've never met you before. You are unfamiliar to me. And I have to link, in order to remember your name and remember mm -hmm. who you are, I have to link the unfamiliar to something familiar. That's how the brain works. So right. I look at you. And I had an old friend called Zubair at school and he was, you know, let's, yeah, uh, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think how to do this. He was a great footballer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe he was, a, okay. <laughs> he was a great footballer. So, um, and then I look at Zubair and I imagine him with a football on his head. Okay. Every time I see him, I imagine his hair shaped like a football. So obviously Zubair's in lockdown. He hasn't cut, had his hair cut for maybe <laughs> so, you know, two months. And so he's got some growth going there. So I imagine like a football. Now, what am I doing here? This is what's important. I'm linking something familiar to unfamiliar and linking it with an emotional charge, which is humor here. Mm. And that is because our memory is in our hippocampus and our hippocampus is the area where, where emotion lies. Right. It's the limbic area. So in order for us to memorize, we need to, we need to link familiar to unfamiliar and use emotion. Mm -hmm. And that's how we remember things and hold on to things. If, we, if I said to you, do you remember your 18th birthday, for example? So people probably say, yeah, I remember that because it was something very special. There was an emotional charge there because there was excitement around now you're 18. Maybe mm -hmm. some events happened or gifts were, ha you know, you received gifts that you, that were very special. So there's something that is got an emotional charge around it. that's mm -hmm. related to you that you can relate to. So that's how we memorize. And it's really important when people are memorizing the Quran to have that in mind. The other thing about memorization, the, the, the next thing, and, and I, I do this in my Arabic course is spaced repetition, understanding space repetition. So right. when I used to memorize the Quran, I, I don't know about you, but I could, after 20 minutes, it was no point me um, pers um, persisting in memorizing anymore. Like right. I know that after 20 minutes or half an hour in about, uh, if I leave it, if I stop memorizing in about 10 minutes, leave it for 10 minutes, 20 minutes, I would have forgotten nearly everything because right. that's the way my brain works. It has to like, basically um, you exert the muscle mm -hmm. and then you have to let go and let it rest. And then what's happening is it's processing in the background. Right. And then after an hour or after two hours, you come back to it and you'll find that it's like memorizing a game, but not exactly the same. It, you, you, it might have took you 20, 30 minutes to memorize it. Now it takes you 10 minutes to get it back. Mm -hmm. And then you go over it in like another five hours. So you're doing space repetition and you're only you're having short bursts of memorization. Right. And this is how the memory moves things from short term memory to long term memory. And so those, mm -hmm. that space repetition gets longer and longer. So I have to go over it once a day. Then it becomes only have to go over it once every two days, then three days. Right. And as you do that, it, it starts to actually move into the long-term memory and you don't have to exert yourself as much.
Okay. We're looking at uh, accessing the Qur'an. We're talking about different aspects of uh, the Qur'an. For example, we've talked about the Qur'an as a healing. We've talked about uh, memorization and uh, the ways to go about memorizing Qur'an as well. When it comes to, Sheikh, the actual uh, idea of reading the Qur'an during Ramadan, now a lot of people put themselves, again, we've mentioned this as well, under a lot of stress because they want to, they feel like they want to read the entire um, Quran, do a khatam of Quran during the month of Ramadan, uh, especially in these times when maybe mosques are closed and we're not getting to listen to the taraweeh. Um, would you say to somebody to just try and do at least a khatam of Quran, uh, or would you again your advice be to try and maybe access the Quran in uh, through understanding rather than uh, just yeah, reading it? Yeah, if it, yeah, if I mean if someone does if their recitation in Arabic is not fluid, then I don't re- I, I recommend what they do, and I did this to children in the madrasa is mm-hmm. I said to them about, and this was in relation to fast sang Qur'an, I said, what's your personal best? Mm-hmm. And they will say to me, like last year I did six fasts, or, you know, the child might say to me, last year I read a juz of Qur'an. Okay, can you best your best? Mm-hmm. You know, can you better your best here? Can you do it this year? Just set a goal that you are going to do so more than that, achieve more than that. And so that feels like something manageable now. So you yeah. feel like you're moving towards a goal, or let's say you're moving towards an ideal because I think this is the mistake we make as Muslims is we expect the ideal of us. And so we always end up broken and disappointed. Um, You know, and so what we need to do is we need to know it's important to have an ideal because it enables us to move towards something in our life. No doubt about it. But Mm. if we always hold ourselves to that standard, that's not healthy. So what we want to do is we want to feel like we're moving towards the ideal rather than being at the ideal. Mm. Um, And so this is what I mean. Obviously, the ideal would be I want to finish the Quran this month. I'd love to do that. But where is that in relation to to where I am at in my life and what's Mm. possible? And it may be this year, you know, if there's more stressors, we won't even achieve what we achieved last year because last year we had more free time, for example. Mm-hmm. So what can I achieve in light of the stressors, in light, in light of the responsibilities and duties I have? Because I have to be real myself. I'm not in the same situation I was in last year. So that doesn't, if you don't achieve what you achieved last year, you can be easy on yourself to think, no, that's because I had, you know, I wasn't in the same circumstances I was in last year, you know. So we so, have to be realistic with ourselves. Okay, very good. And I think uh, the, obviously the other question is in terms of uh, ladies who are maybe experiencing the time of their month and uh, during, during the uh, month of Ramadan, and yep. maybe they're not able to read the Quran as much uh, over yep. those days. I mean, what would you suggest that they do? Um, what, what yeah, I mean, they put an extra stress on themselves, don't they? Because they obviously mm. they need to read it a lot faster. And again, no problem with a little bit of stress. Stress is not bad, but where stress becomes toxic and mm. it's all about just completing without any relationship to, to the Allah or, you know, feeling some spirituality. This is what we've got to be conscious and aware of, what, of what, you know, how we're dealing with ourselves and, uh, and dealing with this month. So... Mm. What women can do is, there's options. Obviously, the ideal, again, is that we complete the Qur'an. Mm-hmm. But then we have to ask, if that's not possible, what can we do in light of our circumstances? I mean, these principles, I really think we need to embody them as Muslims and be practical. It's like, in light of my circumstances, what can I do? Rather than, oh, I didn't do that. Woe is me. I'm terrible. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. rather, it's like, what can I do? So, the first thing is, we now have options available we never had. 
we have Quran on um, we have Quran on our phones. So mm. most of the scholars say that is not touching the Quran, and so we can actually not we can we can read the Quran without mm. having to touch it. Now the scholars are of a difference of opinion on this. Imam Malik was the of opinion that a woman on her menses she is allowed to read the Quran as she's allowed to verbalize them. Um, mm -hmm. And so there's a dispensation there for someone that they wish to re keep reading the Quran on their menses. And so they don't, they're not touching the Quran, they're holding their phone and they're re reading it. If someone doesn't feel comfortable with that, then what they can do is, and all the scholars allow this, is that you can just read it in your head. So right. you're looking at it and you're reading the Quran in Arabic, but in your head. So you do what you can in, in light of your circumstances. If you're, if you're not comfortable with that, then you say, I'm going to do a khatam of that I'm going to continue with the translation of the Quran. So the scholars are a difference about this. Majority of scholars say the Quran in translation is not, you don't have to have purity for it. Mm -hmm. And so now I'm going, to I'm going to finish off the Quran, reading it as uh, a translation of it. So the point I'm making here is there's so many options available. So don't limit yourself and look mm -hmm. what's possible within light of your circumstances that you have. And if the worst comes the worst, you don't want to read Quran because you don't feel comfortable doing that, then do dhikr then. You know, dedicate mm -hmm. the rest of the month to durud, sending salat on the Prophet, so some reading the al khayrat or whatever durud you're comfortable with, mm -hmm. um, and some, some dhikr, because we know that it's related. It's not a hadith, but there's, an, there's other narrations that say that a woman who's on her period mm -hmm. and she chooses to sit on her prayer mat and just sit there doing dhikr at the times of prayer it's written for her that it's her best prayer and what we take wow. from this is deal like you know allah doesn't ask you more than your he, he asks you to do something within a certain circumstance and many women what they do is they take the pill in mm -hmm. ramadan to fast the whole month and that's not what allah that's not worship because because Allah doesn't ask that of you. He asks you to be content in the circumstances that you placed on you and then to ask, how can I connect to Allah in light of the circumstances he's placed me in? That's what he asks. He wants us to meet him in, in, in relationship to what he asks of us, not what we want from him. And I feel sometimes as Muslims, it's, all, it's more about us than Allah. It's like what you want to achieve. <laughs> yeah. But we, we've always got to do things in relationship to God and what he's asking us. Okay, JazakAllah Khair. We have Sheikh Idris Watts with us on the Ask the Sheikh program. And we're talking about the Quran and we've covered a number of different aspects about the Quran from memorization to looking at the Quran as a healing for people as well. Uh, Sheikh, when it comes to the actual um, translation, you mentioned that people should try and engage it in any language if they yeah. uh, don't understand the Arabic. Uh, is there any uh, translation of the Quran that you would recommend for someone who's maybe just starting out to try and engage or read it in English? Yeah, so trans I always recommend we're reading a translation, but we also got some commentary with it. I think that is important. You access the commentary as well. So mm -hmm. what's available? We've got usually people recommend it's quite a big set, but it's quite cheap. It's, I think it's Ma'arif al-Quran, isn't it? By yeah. um, um, I've forgotten. It's Tqeed uh, father, I think it was, that wrote it. Mm -hmm. um, so that's available. I personally, my personal opinion on it, it's nice, but it's, but it's quite legal. It's, um, I, mm -hmm. I, it's not, it doesn't have the spirit that I, you know, when I want to correct Quran. So it's useful definitely to get information and some mm -hmm. people really enjoy it. So if you find that useful, you can do that. In terms, I really do like the study Quran and mm -hmm. people have controversial, you know, there's controversial opinions about that, but I'm saying, look, yes, 
any book you're going to find issues with and you need to be mindful when you're reading a book is that seems strange. And if you find something to be strange to consult scholars that you have trust in to mm -hmm. give clarity over whether that is not, but as a general, you know, book, uh, I think it's the best thing we've got out there in mm -hmm. terms of really, it's got the translation there and underneath it's got the commentary. So you can read it, but also to dip into the commentary. So I really like that. I know mm -hmm. that Piraz, I don't think he finished it in English, but, um, is it um, Pirzada um, Hussein um, okay. from Jamil Karam? He's mm -hmm. his sons, I think. Translate. It was originally in Urdu. He's done a tafsir, and it's a nice short one. It's quite nice and accessible as well. I think it's called Imdadul Karam. I think it's called or something like that, okay. um, or Imdadul Quran. So mm -hmm. that's available. Um, they're the right. ones that I'm aware of. Um, so, but in the end, you've got to shop around and find out the translation that you really connect to. And there's many, many out there now. There's the more mm -hmm. older ones, like obviously Marmaduke Pictou and Arbery. And then mm -hmm. you've got uh, Aisha Bewley's translation. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, there's many out there that you can... Abdul Halim's is supposed to be very popular. Okay. Um, so it's one that you find that you really connect to the language. That's what's important. But and I know that Yahya Emmerich, I think Yahya Emmerich's yeah, yeah, got a children's translation, translation of the Quran as well. Okay, but you would suggest reading it with some sort of tafsir, some sort of explanation. Yeah, just a dip just, in. So, so yeah, you're reading it, but you're saying, I wonder what this, you know, you've got access to saying, well, I want a bit more background about this. Thank you for listening to Radio Ramadan 365 podcasts. Make sure to visit our Radio Ramadan website at rr365.co.uk to access all of our podcasts. Stay tuned on our social channels for future content.